Amen. Good morning. Uh, encourage you to grab a Bible. We're going to be continuing in our study of the book of Acts, verse by verse. So we're in Acts chapter 8. This morning we're finishing chapter 8. Chapter 9 will be next Sunday. And so the title of the message this morning is Get Up and Go. Get Up and Go. All right. Um, good job singing. Uh, really good. It's so encouraging. I love this room. Thank you for leading us well this morning, Josh. You know, it's so encouraging to hear everyone else singing. You know, of course, we're singing, but just to be encouraged by the voices of our brothers and sisters in Christ that believe the same truths that we believe. That, that is so good. And so let me uh, just ask you a question. Um, have you ever been to, like, let's say like a restaurant like Starbucks or it could even be like you're in the drive through at Cookout, one of, you know, the more stressful places that you could go, and, and you get up to the counter or you get up to the speaker in the drive through and you do not yet know like what you want. Ever felt that feeling before? How do you proceed? <laughs> um, better question, how do you know what God wants you to do? Like what you should order? What is God's will for you in that moment? And how do you figure that out? Okay, so how about maybe it doesn't matter. <laughs> order whatever you want. But what about the big areas of life? Big decisions. Direction in life. How do you know what God's will is? How do you figure that out? How do you determine that and then get on board with it? so that you are in the will of God, so that you're with God, so that you are experiencing God. In fact, there was a Bible study, it's almost 20 years old now, called Experiencing God that was really popular among Christians. Anybody do that Bible study at some point? All right, it's very popular here at Fellowship Rally. So um, that was nobody, okay? So maybe one person. Uh, so let me tell you about it. There was this Bible study called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby, and the single premise of the study was... We need to move from being people that are over here and we're like, God, here's my plans. Will you bless my plans? Even though that's good. Like, it's good to want God in your life blessing your plans. Absolutely. Amen. That is good. But we need to move from being people like that to being people that are looking for where God is already at work and joining Him there. And, and, and I guess I share this only to say what if God's will, what if much of God's will for our lives, again, not thinking about your order at Starbucks, but about the big things in life, what if God's will is actually really clear and revealed much of it? And all we are to do is get up and go. Join Him there in what He's doing. That's what I believe we see in this passage this morning. As Philip is told by God to go to a place where he's already at work. A place where the apostles have not yet gone. They have not yet really fully obeyed Jesus' command to go be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so let me just show you the passage. Let's read it. This morning, we're looking at Acts 8, verse 26 through 40. And what we're going to see in this passage is four ways to be involved and what Jesus is already doing. So let me show you verse 26, and we'll read. 
Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers, silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And He commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel at all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Bow with me, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you, God, that you've gathered us together, that you've worked, you've engineered circumstances and orchestrated for us to be here this morning. Lord, you are sovereign. We see in this passage how you direct the steps of your people and of people who are not yet your people. You are sovereign. So Lord, may we be a people that are looking for where you are working and listening for where you are telling us to go. So Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time, this precious time of fellowship, and we pray that we would grow that you would speak, and that we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Title, Get Up and Go, Four Ways to Be Involved in What Jesus is Already Doing. The first way is accelerate for Jesus. Accelerate. Perhaps it would be helpful to think of yourself in a car. You're following Jesus. That's what a follower of Jesus is, right? A disciple, you're a follower of Jesus. So you're following Jesus. He's in the car in front of you. So what are you doing? As Jesus is going and doing His work, His mission, what is His mission, right? To bring the word of the gospel to all people. As Jesus is going and you are, right, a Christian, right, right, like following Him, what are you doing? Are you... In neutral? Coasting? Are you riding the brake? Anybody ride the brake when you're on a really mountain road? Are you accelerating? 
accelerate for Jesus is the point here. Again, let's just look at these verses. Verse 26. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, keep in mind, Philip has, was initially in Jerusalem. That's Acts 6. He was one of the seven that was chosen to be a servant or a deacon. He was in Jerusalem. Then a persecution broke out. Stephen was martyred. Paul, or Saul at that time, oversaw the death and the stoning of Stephen. And then a persecution broke out. The Christians had to scatter from Jerusalem. Philip took the gospel north, you can see it on the map, to Samaria. And now God's like, hey, we've gone north, let's go south. So the Spirit, or actually here in verse 26, it says, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south. Being a Christian means being ready to go wherever, whenever. Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. The point is, it wouldn't make sense to go there. This is a desert place. This is an isolated place. God, what do you want me there for? Verse 27, and he arose and went. Look at, look at and note the obedience of Philip. Rise and go, he arose and went. Rise and go, he got up and he went. Instant obedience in his walk with the Spirit. And he rose and he went, and there was an Ethiopian, a unit court official of Candace the queen. So what can we learn in these verses? We've already read them. Let's just think for a moment. What can we learn about the Ethiopian in these verses? First thing we can learn is, think about it. Like, like don't miss this this morning. He was really different from Philip. Hello? Like, couldn't be more different. This Ethiopian... What we learn about him, first off, he's an Ethiopian. In that day, in the first century, to say someone was an Ethiopian was to say they were black. And Philip was not. Ethiopia also meant in their minds the ends of the earth, a place where they didn't speak the common language of the day, Koine Greek, a place that is far, the ends of the earth. And so think for a moment, about Jesus in Acts 1, he's told his apostles to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that was last Sunday, and where? The ends of the earth. And so now here, we have God engineering a situation with an Ethiopian. Make a note of that God is orchestrating this, perhaps you've heard the phrase, divine appointment. God is at work. God is at the front. God is leading the mission. The Spirit is at work. Philip could not be more different from this Ethiopian, and yet it is very much God's will for Philip and this Ethiopian to be brothers in Christ. He was a eunuch, which meant he had no male private parts, all right? That's as deep as we're going into the anatomy lesson of a eunuch this morning. This was probably due to his job. The proximity that his job had him to the king of Ethiopia's queen. It may have been a sacrifice that he voluntarily made in order to get his job. He had a job. He worked for Candace. It says the queen of Ethiopia. This 
we know this name Candace. It's not a personal name. It's the title. He worked for the Candace. That was the title of every Ethiopian queen. He was her CFO. It says the treasurer. He was, do you picture it? Like he's riding in his chariot, so he had a chariot. He was reading aloud. Everyone read aloud. That's not a weird part. He was reading aloud. That's how people read. They read aloud back then. And so he was literate. He could read, which says something of his status. He had a personal copy of the scroll of Isaiah. We already know he's wealthy because he was the CFO of Ethiopia, but he had his own personal copy of the scroll of Isaiah. This means he was wealthy. Wealthy, educated, Ethiopian, high-ranking official. Here he is. What else do we learn about him? He was seeking. He was seeking. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now he was going home. Clearly not having found all that he was looking for, but it would be true to say of this Ethiopian that he had a hole in his heart that only Christ could fill. He was seeking. And so God has engineered, He has orchestrated this divine appointment. You can just see how the Spirit is at work. He's working in this Ethiopian's heart. Then He's working in Philip's life and telling him to go to this place, this desert place. God goes before His people, spreading the word of Jesus. You see Philip running. You see the picture? It says he literally was running. Accelerate. For Jesus. What can we learn about Philip from these verses? Well, first, we should just be inspired by what we see with Philip here because he's just an ordinary Christian like you and me in the early church, a disciple, a follower of Christ. But what do we see in his story and what is Luke telling us about him to challenge and inspire us? We see first that he was listening to God. He was sensitive to what God was saying to him about his life. He was listening to God. Do you have a posture of listening to God? Maybe that is through the Bible. Maybe that is through a brother or sister in Christ that loves you enough to share with you wisdom or counsel. He was listening to God. Maybe that's through prayer and being still and really listening to the voice of God in your life. He was listening to God. It says, an angel told him to go here. It says, the Spirit told him to go here. He's listening to God. You get this picture of a Christian who is in step with the Spirit. What else can we see about Philip here? What about his step-by-step obedience to God? Isn't it amazing? You know, God in this story tells Philip first to go to a general location. And I don't know if you noticed this, but it's in the details if you look carefully, but God did not tell Philip specifically what to do or where to go in that general location until he was there. Step-by-step obedience. God gave him this much, Philip obeyed, then God gave him more. We so often, we want to do all the research. We want to do all the things to make sure that we're secure and safe before we obey God. We want to know the end from the beginning, but only God can know the end from the beginning. He trusted and had this quick, obedient faith. You know, God still works that way often in our lives. He doesn't give us everything. He gives us enough that we can obey Him. And then he gives us more. It is a walk with the Lord. Look at Philip's creativity. 
Look at his creativity. You know, it's interesting. When Philip is out there, he gets there, and then the Spirit says to him, do you see that chariot right there? And it had to have been quite a scene because this guy was wealthy and it was an isolated place, maybe the only chariot. And he says, do you see that chariot? I want you to go up and get in it. God doesn't tell him how to get in it. Philip's got to use his own creativity, his own human, God-given mind and ingenuity. So we rely on the sovereignty of God to orchestrate and to engineer and to set up divine appointments, but we also honor the Lord in using our own efforts, minds, and creativity, and we see Philip doing that here. He's got to figure out how to get in the chariot. And God did not give him the specific plan. This was before Ubers, like it's not appropriate to just walk up and open the door and get in. How's he going to get in the chariot? It's quite a picture, really. Because the text literally says that Philip, it says in in verse, uh, let's see, where is it? And the Spirit said, verse 29, to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So do you picture this? The chariot is moving. Remember, the chariot is going to Ethiopia. Okay, Philip is now running. The chariot is still moving. Philip's running next to the chariot. Okay, He's sprinting next to the chariot, close enough to the chariot to be able to hear exactly the chapter and verse in the scroll of Isaiah that the Ethiopian is reading. Philip comes up with this plan. I'm going to ask him if he understands what he's reading. That might be my end as he's running. So he's like, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? It's so creative. And you have to admire his hustle. He's hustling. He's accelerating for Jesus. You know what else? It's so Christ-like too. He, Philip, left a ministry where there were signs and wonders, there were crowds, there was a lot going on in Samaria. And God spoke to him and said, go to a desert place to reach one person. He left the 99 for the one. Because he heard God speak. So he's accelerating for Jesus. He, he runs up to the chariot and, and he says, do you understand what you're reading And that leads us to our second point. So we are looking at four ways to be involved in what Jesus is already doing. First, accelerate for and now articulate about Jesus. Verse 32 to 35. So you picture the scene, right? Ethiopian's reading Isaiah. He's in chapter 53. He's reading it aloud. Philip can hear it. Philip sees his opportunity. Charles Spurgeon once said to a young minister, and I quote, he was giving him some advice. He said, young man, from every town and every village and every little hamlet in England, wherever it may be, there is a road to London. And so from every text in Scripture, there is a road to the metropolis of the Scriptures, that is Christ. Philip saw his opportunity. Oh, he's reading Isaiah. He's reading Isaiah 53. 
I know now, my eyes are opened, I now know how all of Scripture, the Old Testament, points to Christ, how the Messiah, how Jesus is the key that unlocks the Old Testament, how Jesus is the one who was promised. He has now come. Philip's excited. He's like, I got this. Do you know what you're reading? The eunuch showing a teachable heart, showing that God was before Philip working in his life, says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Such humility in a statement like that. Verse 32, I'll read it now. The passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He is reading from Isaiah 53, verses 7 through 8, about the suffering servant. And he says to Philip, verse 34, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? In other words, Philip's like, hey, or no, the Ethiopian's like, hey, Philip, hey, is he talking about himself? Is Isaiah talking about Isaiah here? Or is he talking about someone else? And Philip, you can just imagine it. Wouldn't it have been great to be in the chariot? It would have been so amazing to literally be there and feel this conversation. You can imagine Philip saying, hey, let's go back a couple verses. Like before I got up to the chariot, I think you were on the verses right before, Verse 5 and 6, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You can hear Philip saying, this is not Isaiah referring to himself, brother. And he's not poetically referring to Israel, the nation here, brother. Isaiah is foretelling hundreds of years before it happened exactly what God showed him would happen with the Savior of the world. And then he looks at him and he says, and brother, this is exactly what just did happen in Jerusalem. Have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard that they crucified him? Have you heard he was buried for three days and then he rose from the grave? He was wounded for our transgressions. It's amazing, really. It, Philip shares the gospel with him. The point here is to be articulate about Jesus. You know the definition of inarticulate means unable to speak. Articulate means to utter clearly, distinctly, and to pronounce with clarity. I love verse 35. It says, Then Philip, do you see it? It says, opened his mouth. Seizing the divine appointment that God has engineered and placed him in, he opened his mouth. And beginning with the Scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Ways to be involved in what Jesus is already doing. Accelerate for Jesus, articulate the 
gospel about Jesus. And now, assimilate into Jesus. Verse 36 and 38. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded, verse 38, the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now you might ask, where is verse 37? 37. Verse 37 in, in your Bible is probably listed as a footnote. And I actually love this, just very quickly, just sort of stepping outside of our point here of assimilating to Jesus for one moment. What's going on with verse 37? Why isn't it there? Why is it just a footnote? What's going on? Oh my gosh, what's going on? Where's my MacArthur study Bible? You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, here it is. Verse 37 was not included in the most reliable early manuscripts of the book of Acts. And so the translators of, say, the ESV, which we're looking at this morning, chose to put it as a footnote and to be very open, honest, and forthright, and say, here's what verse 37 says, but it wasn't in the most reliable manuscripts, and so we're not putting it in there, we're putting it as a footnote. Cool. I'm really cool with that. I love that, actually. Because, here's why, it shows me that Bible translations are honest and trustworthy. And that that actually gets me really excited. So now back to the point. Why does Luke tell the part of the eunuch being baptized by starting with the question that the eunuch asks? Why? Do you know? Do you know why? Why does he tell the story? Why not just say, and they stopped and he baptized him? Why does he tell the story the way he does, where the eunuch asks the question, Philip, what prevents me from being baptized? Let me tell you. Eunuchs were not allowed into the assembly of worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Deuteronomy 23. This eunuch has just come from Jerusalem where he was prevented from entering the assembly of the people of God. Driving home in his chariot, he encounters Philip. Philip shares the gospel of Jesus Christ with him that speaks a different word. It does not matter who you are so long as you believe in Jesus and repent of your sins. Then you can be fully included, assimilated, incorporated, initiated, baptized into the family of God. That's what it is. And so... Philip shared the gospel with him. They then go into the water together and Philip very publicly assimilates him into the family of Christ. Brothers in Christ now. Philip and this Ethiopian. Now make a note of this very important fact. What is powerful here is that the assimilation is not into Philip. It's into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through baptism. 
That's what's so amazing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and really what sets Christianity apart and makes it so unique, powerful, and different. It's radically inclusive. The gospel says to this Ethiopian, you don't have to assimilate into Jerusalem Philip culture. You just have to get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is radically inclusive, and yet it is still exclusive. Because Philip does teach him, hey, the guy in Isaiah 53, that is Jesus. That is not whoever you dream him or think him to be. That is Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. It is Jesus. Exclusive. But brother, you can be baptized. There is nothing that prevents you from being a full card-carrying member of the body of Christ at this moment. Let's go down in that water. Amazing. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Just think about that. Think about the cultural Culturally different backgrounds of Ethiopian, eunuch, and Philip and the power of this story. And you know what God is trying to say to the early church and to us, that what divides the world should not divide the church. And that God's will is to bring the message of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Number four, anticipate from Jesus. Four ways to be involved in what Jesus is already doing. Accelerate four. Articulate about, assimilate into, anticipate from. This is a fun point. Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so what we see here in this last point is them going their separate ways. But Luke tells us a little bit more about that than that they just said, all right, peace, later, thanks. Philip is, Luke says, carried away by the Spirit. Hmm. Maybe Luke is intentionally connecting the story with the story of Elijah in the Old Testament, maybe. Maybe there's really no need to wrestle with and wonder exactly what is being said here, not to necessarily take this literally would probably be the way. Luke doesn't seem that interested in sort of detailing for us exactly what this meant, just that the Spirit led Philip somewhere else. It could mean something mystical, or it could simply be a shorthand way of saying, God led Philip by his Spirit to quickly depart. The point is this. Either way, Philip is still following the Spirit's lead. He went up the coast. He continued his ministry. He goes to another big city. And there's this anticipation. Okay, we saw what God just did on a desert road. Now the Spirit is leading Philip again. He's going to a different place. What's God going to do? And then we see the eunuch. It says that as Philip departs and goes his way, it says the eunuch is, do you see it? Rejoicing and headed to Ethiopia. Is that exciting? 
you know, we don't know for sure, but the church fathers, the people who wrote in the first, second, and third century, many of them, all of them, believe that this Ethiopian eunuch brought the gospel and started Christianity and the church in Africa. So here we have this picture. Philip, led by the Spirit, going to another city. What's God going to do? The Ethiopian eunuch riding in his chariot now, reading Isaiah, eyes opened, understanding the gospel, excited, rejoicing on his way to Africa. A person of influence, affluence, and joy. Joy in Christ. You almost get this feeling like if you're studying Acts with us, like, man, maybe God's about to do something really big. Like maybe we're about to see full-on outreach to like all nations, like the Gentiles or something. Like it's starting to feel like that, you know? It's like getting this anticipation that we're starting to feel. And really, but then you think, well, no, God would need to, he would need to appoint like a person to be like the head of that. So that hasn't happened yet. So I wonder like he probably needs to find someone for that. So maybe like in one of the future chapters, like maybe in the next chapter, he would pick someone like the greatest persecutor of the early church and say, hey, I pick you. You have to come next Sunday for that. It's amazing. So we anticipate from Jesus what he is going to do. So let's, let's pray.